I love it when a song starts with like, like this like little discussion. This song used to make me feel so uncomfortable as a kid. Oh, it's like my favorite song as a kid. I remember like running around the halls of Greenfield Hebrew Academy and just like, it wasn't me on the bathroom floor. Yeah, this song freaked me out. Not like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Not a lot of the elements. Like to the beat, which I think, and like the track, which I think is cool. Just this bass line, this guitar thing, the strings. Yes, like the drum tech itself is just really cool. Yeah, I like that ride sample. And I really like the. It's like a timpani on the ride. It's so cool. That one button on the keyboard orchestra hit. Yeah. Very children about him. Right. It's fun that this song is like about being like a piece of shit human. Yeah. It, but it's like so, so happy. Uh, yeah, it's almost like we we're all we all want to say it wasn't me about something. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a good shaker going on. There is. I, I haven't heard that. I didn't really put that one together. Shakers aren't really around anymore, man. Yeah. It used to be such a big part of pop music. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Listen to This, a podcast in which we explore songs we like. We research what they mean, how they were recorded, why they were written, why we like them, and why you should listen to this. Today we are going to talk about probably the best song ever recorded about cheating, I think. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, really yeah, know sure. for sure. It's the Shaggy classic, It Wasn't Me. It was written by Shaggy, Rick Rock, and Sting International. Not to be confused with Sting and the police. Say, I was about to say, oh my god, Yeah, Sting? I know. And it's funny because, like, this is one of those things where, like, we are 100% living in a simulation. Right. Remember Shaggy made a record with the actual Sting? No shit. Like, not but a few years ago. They did, like, a Tiny Desk concert and everything. It's pretty no. good. Pretty good record, yeah. I'm waiting for the Shaggy and Sting the Wrestler. <laughs> That's when I know. That's when I'll be like, "Ugh, my life He's is such it. a fucking joke." Right. <laughs> um, the song was produced by Sting International in Queens, New York, Sick, cool. which I think is cool because, like, obviously we think of Shaggy as Jamaican, which he a thousand percent is. Yeah. But it's like interesting to see that sort of like the Jamaican musical ethos combined with like a beat that sounds very New York to me. Very New York, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know what that really means let me try to unpack that a little bit yeah like what is it what would if somebody's like this song's got this like hip-hop it's got a new york hip-hop sound like yeah. what do you think it means to me because like new york is obviously where like hip-hop was born yeah you know with like the dancing and the art and mm -hmm. the music and sampling it's where it was created yeah. as much and as i hate to admit it i know yeah it's like they <laughs> they, they they get that they, yeah but when I think about like New York style hip hop and the beats and the music, to me, it's very lo-fi. It's hi-fi, lo-fi. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like It's very hi-fi sounds, but yeah. lo-fi treatments. Well, it's not like, there's not like a ton of crazy 808s. Not crazy 808s. Going ham. No. There's not like the 
the trappy hi-hats that even in 2001 sort of existed in music. It is like more like, this is like what a band sounding a song would be like, even though I'm like very convinced most of these are samples. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very, I mean, they they call New York hip hop boom bat. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the sound. mm -hmm. Boom, bat. You know, it's like the snare drum is probably the most important element to New York style rap. Definitely. It's, It's funny too, because it's like one, just like one drum. Yeah. Out of like, maybe maybe like hundreds of sounds that you might hear like on a yeah. record but you hear that snare drum so consistently for yeah. throughout a whole song that it like it better be good and it's normally really loud yeah like new york hip-hop they love that snare loud and it's usually really thick sounding we're like in atlanta hip-hop it's thin it can it's be like the marching thin. marching snare almost, yeah kind exactly of, like some sort of amalgam of that and like the 808 woodblock sound that yeah. i really like though. Well, what i love about Southern hip hop, not to go on a tangent, is its relationship to drumline yeah. and marching band and yeah. all the percussive, crazy things that go on. But um, yeah, New York snare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so shout out Queens. Um, this song, it was me. It was a number one hit and was the biggest selling international single of 2001, multi, multi platinum. Wow. I, I think the album that it was off of is called Bombastic. Mm-hmm. Bombastic. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it sold three and a half million copies. Eesh. Yeah, so it's kind of like the biggest record of the year. And the story about this song is really interesting. And it's one that like we kind of run into a lot, which is funny, that like this story keeps happening in music. Guess what? The record label hated this song. No shit. They tried to bury it. Really? Bury it? Bury? Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't even placed on the initial promo version of the album that they sent out to, to radio stations. No shit. And like Shaggy had had kind of a hit song. A couple years before, mm-hmm. but this was supposed to be his album to like really step up to the next level. And and of course the the label saw like they got greedy, had dollar signs in their eyes. They're like, oh, he's like a Jamaican star. Yeah, they're gonna. We'll get this guy international. We'll yeah. like, but they fucking hated this song. Um, and it's funny because like they're it, one time they're in the studio, and Shaggy and Sting International leave. And there's just some representative from the label hanging out in the studio and he smoked a joint and then he put on this song and he was like, oh, I'm fucking feeling this vibe. <laughs> he was, he really caught a vibe with it. And he sent, sent that song to a few people on the internet. Yeah. And what's interesting enough is that it didn't blow up. People were still like, the song's a piece of shit. Yeah. Like you're a joke, you know, we're the label. Fuck you, blah, blah, blah. Um, eventually a DJ in Hawaii named Pablo Sato mm-hmm. downloaded this version of It Wasn't Me mm-hmm. off of Napster. Wow. So he does that. He has no idea how it got uploaded there. Yeah. Um, and he played it on the radio show, on his radio show in Hawaii, and it just took off. He's, no shit. He, he's like, oh, like, usually like one, pe- one person calls in when I play a new song. He's like, the phone, the whole switchboard was lit up Are for the serious? whole duration of the oh song. Oh my God. Yeah. So, and, so he's the guy who made the song happen. Who would have thought, dude? Yeah, Pablo Sato. Give him some publishing, yeah. man. <laughs> People just went nuts for it. Wow. Um, and they should. Like, this song's fun. It's, it's, a, it's a classic sounding pop record, but it has elements that, are a little unfamiliar in pop territory. Number yeah. one, the cheating being the theme of the song. Yeah. Very unusual, I would say, for like a hit track. Number two, obviously Shaggy's voice, you know. Very different. It's a, it's a little different for what people are listening to. Yeah. Um, the third, like the main thing I want to talk about with like why this song's a little off kilter for a pop song is that is like a weird musical concept. Mm-hmm. It's actually the key of the song. So the song is in Mixolydian key. Okay. 
So the chords that it it, it kind of falls between these two chords, like it falls between a C major mm-hmm. and a B flat major. And that's pretty much the whole song. Yeah. And I I wanted to ask you like what what are your thoughts on Mixolydian mode? Why doesn't it pop up more? Yeah. To me, mm-hmm. I don't like Mixolydian mode. Right, I'm going right. to be out front. To me, it sounds very classic rock, which is why I have a hang up with classic rock. Got it, got it. I don't know. But the biggest characteristics about Mixolydian mode are, yes, that flat seven yeah. major chord and also the five minor chord. Oh, which one, is the best one. Yeah. And, but, and one of the greatest Mixolydian songs is that Coldplay song, Clocks. There we go. The whole song is major one to minor five. Yeah. So if you want to hear like what Mixolydian sounds like, you can listen to this song to hear the movement of yeah. one to flat seven or Clocks by Coldplay, which is one to minor five. Or a little Bathtub Gin by Fish. <laughs> I feel like they, they probably are in Mixolydian yeah, mode at least are. once per song. Definitely. That's the, that's the only, I'll tell you what, Fish Mixolydian, I'm so into because they get it, What man. is it? So like, what is Mixolydian? Like, how would you describe that to somebody who like, doesn't really know dick about modes or even right. scales. Like everybody out there, we all know do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. That's yeah. the sound of music scale, right. also known as the major scale. Right, exactly. So that's the major scale. Right. So Mixolydian mode is do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, te, do. Okay. Which So we're changing one note in the major scale, mm-hmm. and it's that seventh degree. We're going to flatten it, so it's a flat seven, seventh yeah. degree, which is cool. It, give, it makes it sound a little bit more rock and roll a little more classic rock. But the biggest thing about learning scales and modes and stuff is how when you change that one note, there's a domino effect of how it changes the chords. Because, oh, yeah. you know, music is created by chords and the chords are created by the node, the notes in that one mm-hmm. scale. So if you change one note, there's a domino effect of changing all the chords. Yeah, which I, that's, a, that's a really good way of describing it. Yeah. Nice job, Luke. That's why we so get a the, flat seven chord and a minor five chord. This guy's taught some fucking guitar lessons right <laughs> here. <laughs> um... The the vocalist on this song, um, the one singing the hook, his name's Rick Rock. Great name. Nice. Um, he also sang on that other big shaggy hit off this record. Um, Girl, you're my angel. Oh, oh you're wow. My oh, my God. Yeah. And this dude like was just a writer. Wow. Just like a songwriter. Yeah. And he, he wrote this song and recorded it in like a few minutes. It wasn't me. Yeah. And it just like made his career. So, Dude, just blew my mind with that other track. Yeah, I know. I you totally forgot about, forgot that, about that song. Also, that one's got a great sample of Steve Miller, the Joker. You're right. Guitar, you're right. Also, you're right. You know, love wow. that. <laughs> wow. Um, man, there's one more thing I want to talk about mm-hmm. on this one, and it's sort of about the story of the song, about the record label just like fucking it up. I mean, like I've had experience at record labels, like from really major ones to also like kind of what people in the industry call boutique record labels, which yeah. to me just means like rich, smaller ones. Yeah. Um, and I know you have a lot more experience than me. You work with them pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. Do record labels get it wrong more often than they get it right? <laughs> is the question that I want to know. And I'm not trying to like get anyone in here to burn bridges. Like yeah. we both know people have worked at labels that are amazing. Like I can point to many examples where like, oh, like only because this person like only because LA Reed believed in outcast right. did they like get a chance. So like yeah. but w- like is it kind of dangerous for the art form of music in general? That like uh, 
these people pay for the recordings and they can kind of just be like, nope, that's not a good song. It, yeah. was, it wasn't me. Not good. Fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah. I have two thoughts, two yeah. different thoughts. I have my thought and then someone else's thought. My <laughs> thought is the the record labels that get it right and the A&Rs that get it right are the ones that are in the streets. Yeah. They're the ones with the bands. They're with the artists. They they travel city to city and they see how the how the music is created and they're in they're involved yeah. versus the ANRs that are in the office and they're just working through the emails and yeah. they, they're not understanding the cultural side of the music that they're being created because they're not there witnessing it. I think it's tough too because like at a certain point and uh, you know this is something I hate about the American music industry and like yeah. I don't have a, that much experience internationally but it does seem a little bit different. Yeah. Um it's all it's more it's like releasing a record for people at a record label sometimes is about minimizing risk True. to their job exactly not as well. Exactly about like pushing something into our public consciousness that yeah. might be new. Yeah. So that that's like part because like I could see where somebody would be like, oh, if I re- if I like am a part of a team that releases a song about cheating, banging on the bathroom floor, and it's a dud, like not I'm only done. do I look like a moralistic, like right deviant, right, but I'm a fucking loser who made nobody money. Exactly, it's hard. It's a hard job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then I also wanted to bring up this other small comment that I think you'll dig. It was from Frank Zappa. I remember watching this little clip of him saying, <laughs> yeah. of him dealing with record labels and saying how he used to really like dealing with like the old white guy, you know, the old people, because they would just let him do whatever he wanted to do because they didn't know. They were trusting him to make the decisions. Yeah. But when they eventually retired or, you know, lost their job and they'd have the young hotshot in, mm-hmm. he would have more trouble dealing with them because the young hotshot was trying to do their own idea. Yeah. And it would and there would be tension between Frank Zappa and younger label guys. I thought that was an interesting thing too. Yeah, that's pretty cool to think about. It's like I always am reminded when I think about a record labels the Hunter S. Thompson quote. Right. The music business is a cruel and shallow money trench. A long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. There's also a negative side. Wow. (laughs) Yep. Well, it wasn't me. The best song ever about cheating. I wouldn't recommend cheating, but I would highly recommend listening to this song. Listen to this. Welcome back to season two. (laughs) We got a lot in store for you this season. Researched better funnier things to say more third eye blind songs in this season yes that's right third eye blind we're going in we're opening that third eye (laughs) welcome back for season two it's great to be here with you guys